Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Roe v. Wade is no longer the law of the land. Roe and Casey are overruled. And we get confirmation that the Roe v. Wade has been overturned by the Supreme Court, allowing states to ban abortions. The Supreme Court overturned the landmark decision, but this was expected after a leaked memo back in May, which caused a series of protests. My body, my While some lawmakers who are anti-abortion are pleased with this ruling, many human rights activists say rolling back reproductive rights will hurt women and families across the board, but especially those who live in poverty, black women, and pregnant people of color. I'll explain why they say this in a little bit, including what happens now. But first, a brief history of Roe v. Wade. Abortion wasn't always illegal. It wasn't even outlawed until the mid-1800s. Historians say before that, reproductive care was not regulated by the government. Midwives performed abortions when needed. In fact, newspapers and medical literature refer to certain herbs and medicines as abortion-inducing. Around the start of the Civil War, things started to change. A group of male doctors, supported by the Catholic Church, began a movement to make abortions illegal. It's important to note that before this period, the majority of reproductive care was done by women. About half of these providers were black women who were sometimes enslaved. But once men got into reproductive care, they wanted to delegitimize the female-dominated field of midwifery. And then by 1910, abortion was federally outlawed. But wealthy white women could get around these laws. Their money allowed them to try travel to get a procedure. The social movements of the 1960s brought a renewed interest in abortion, and then in 1973, Roe v. Wade, where the Supreme Court ruled abortion access is a federally protected right. Good evening. In a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court today legalized abortion. In the years since, anti-abortion groups have continuously protested the procedure, often harassing anyone who enters an abortion-providing clinic, and in some cases, bombing, arson, and murders. The National Abortion Federation reported over 1,000 violent acts committed against abortion clinics. Stalking, harassment, vandalism, death threats, arson, bombings, things like like that. The highest number of attacks since the group started keeping records in 1977. Today, according to the pro-choice research organization, the Guttmacher Institute, nearly half U.S. women ages 13 to 44 live in states that are considered hostile to abortion rights. 
And if you regularly listen to this podcast, you already know about the massive wealth disparities between black and white households. That disparity is one of the reasons why reproductive justice activists say this ruling will especially hurt black communities. They say black and brown women will have the most financial struggles traveling to another state for abortion access. This comes as the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association found that black women are more likely to experience pregnancy and childbirth complications when compared to white women. And the CDC found that black women are three times more likely to die before, during, or after childbirth, again, when compared to white women. And that's why Balula Asweke, the deputy director at New Voices for Reproductive Justice, say these rights are tied to racial justice. What's your reaction to Roe v. Wade being overturned? Roe v. Wade being overturned is infuriating, yet not surprising. I believe that this country has had a very pretty antagonistic relationship with Black people, Black women in particular as well, as we're seeing with this attack on Black women and Black femmes and Black people's bodily autonomy. Since the memo was initially leaked in May, activists have been saying this will especially hurt Black women. Explain why. We have to look at all of the institutions that should be serving all people, but across the board, regardless of industry, regardless of service, time and time again, especially the medical and the healthcare industry continue failing black people and black women and FEMS in particular. The reason I continue including FEMS is because there are people that identify as black, but don't identify as woman or female, and they exist beyond the gender binary, meaning they're non-binary, meaning they're transgender. And those black people also have a very contentious relationship with a lot of medical institutions and systems that refuse to acknowledge their full humanity. But particularly, it's not a surprise that despite black people only comprising a 14% of the U.S. population, that we comprise, I think, like 40% of the U.S. incarcerated population. So for anything that is criminalized, Black people are going to be further monitored, going to be further held accountable for said crime. And so that is why this is specifically detrimental to the Black community. You also look at the the, uh, resources that are available to Black women and Black people, typically, um, and who's able to evade the law and who's able to justify their breaking of the laws, the quote-unquote law. Activists say this isn't just about access to abortion, but access to reproductive care. They say when choices are taken away, so is access to health care. Can you explain that link? The reason that Black women and Black people's voice is so important in conversations about abortions, abortion rights and bodily autonomy is that this is not a singular issue for us. This, this issue of power and control reaches across a number of identities, a number of professions, a number of X, Y, Z. So when we see a lot of white women speaking about being pro-choice and speaking about what abortion rights means to them, there's oftentimes a acute focus on abortion rights. We are talking about the full spectrum of healthcare. We already experience healthcare that is poor quality. We already experience uh, doubts about our own realizations or summaries about our own health, we already ex- we already experienced that without Roe um, being overturned. And so when we're talking about reproductive health and the full spectrum 
of care that people should be receiving, we're not just focusing on abortion. Abortion is a component of that. Abortion seems to be a hot topic, but we're really having a holistic conversation about the totality of medical care that people either receive or do not receive and whose voices are legitimized and whose voices and concerns are instantly questioned, are instantly invalidated because they don't fit within a, a quote unquote normal person or a normal set of circumstances. There is no normal. How does reproductive choice for black women tie back to the policing of black bodies during slavery? I think that Roe being overturned is uniquely painful to black people because of our origins with enslavement. I actually had a conversation with a colleague who shared that black people have had a, a long sustained fight for bodily autonomy. We were once seen as three fifths of an entire person. Black women were treated as cattle to breed more work, people able to do work for plantations. And so now we have experienced a removal of federal protection that is supposed to exist for all people. And who's to say that the same restrictions, the same sense of violation that we now look back on in history and say, we cannot believe that happened will not exist today in some kind of modern fashion. And so when we look at society as a whole, it often feels like black women are dismissed and, and oftentimes the most marginalized amongst us. That's not even including economic disparities, people having disabilities, people seeing themselves as existing again with, with outside of the, the binary of being male or female. And so that's just looking at blackness as a whole. We hear stories about Serena Williams. We hear stories about Beyonce that had their own maternal complications. And so when we talk about progress, when we talk about freedom, we have to wonder how far as a country have we progressed when it feels like our bodies, again, no longer belong to us. The maternal mortality rate is already higher for Black women. How could forced birth affect this? I believe that forced births take away someone's opportunity to choose what is best for themselves and for their families. It's actually quite seriously, very creepy to think about. Um, the phrase family planning includes the word planning for a reason. If someone did not intentionally plan or intend on adding another person to their family, how can that be possible when they don't feel like they have the provisions to care for their family? People want to have conversations about being pro-life, right? But really it just feels like a, a, a like a power struggle because we have a number of black children that are in the foster care system that are not being aided for. We have a number of foster homes that do not receive proper resources. So I don't understand how this is a conversation about life and death. It really feels like this is a conversation about control and freedom. Is there anything else we haven't talked about that's important? Yeah, I, I, I really wanna talk about the impact that this is gonna have on future generations. It is very heartbreaking for me to hear people say, I cannot believe we're here again, to hear mothers and parents concern that their young daughters will have less rights than their young sons. And so I want us to be mindful that we're fighting for the here and now, but we're also fighting for a future generation. And I don't want to feel like we have failed them, but I do want us to feel like we have recognized the moment that we're in 
that we're owning the mistakes that we have made as community leaders, as organizational leaders, and that we are committed to doing better by listening to their voices, not acting as if, you know, they should be seen and not heard. We need to engage with young people because this is their lives. This is their realities as much as it, are, as it is ours. So I really just want to make sure that young people are incorporated into any and all conversations about what actually achieving justice and liberation for all of us looks like. So what happens now? To learn the answer to that question, our producer Jill Webb connected with OBGYN and author of the book, Let's Talk About Down There, Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. Abortion access has been something federally protected for nearly 50 years. Now that this is overturned, what do you kind of expect to come next from the public? I believe that the public will be will continue to be outraged, just like we were when we heard about the SCOTUS leak. And that is a really, that's something that people should not be ignoring because we know that 64% of Americans did not want Roe v. Wade to be overturned. And yet here we are. So something has been handed to us that the majority of us do not want. And as the reality sets in, as we go back to a pre-Roe world, which is still very different than what it was back when Roe happened, when we, we still do have access to medication abortion, we can still do different things that we were not able to do back before Roe even went into effect, um, we are being told that we cannot have access to safe medical care and um, appropriately the public is outraged and will continue to react because this is something that's essential and we will see we will see people suffer because of this. And what's in store for states that, you know, already have abortion restrictions in place? Yes. So with the fall of Roe, we have 22 states that already have laws or amendments in place, which means that they will be certain to to ban abortion. And then there's an additional four that will likely ban or heavily restrict abortion. And so that means a total of 26 states will no longer have abortion access. And in the other ones that do, there are a few states, like I'm lucky to be in Oregon, which has some of the most protective laws, but there are other states that will continue to whittle away and chip away at abortion access. This means that people who want and need abortion will have to travel farther, pay more money, likely will get care later, or will not get abortions at all. And we know from the Turnaway study, um, which was a pivotal study that showed that people who wanted access to abortion and were unable to access it, um, that it led to worse outcomes in those people who um, did not want to continue their pregnancies as well as in the offspring of those babies. When we think about people traveling to different areas to get abortions, is the healthcare system, you know, prepared for this? We saw how strained hospital resources were obviously during, you know, the height of the pandemic. Do we have enough labor and delivery resources in the states that need them? Or even, you know, not if they're getting abortions, but if people are just delivering more babies too. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's two issues. No, we already have hospital shortages, nursing shortages, provider shortages for people who are giving birth. And now you have more people who are going to be forced to carry unplanned pregnancies to term and to deliver them. The second thing is that now people are going to go to other states to have abortion care, and those states are already struggling. I have friends who provide abortion in in Oklahoma, and before that law went into effect, they saw a huge increase in people coming from Texas, you know, appropriately so. People from Texas needed to seek care elsewhere, and it meant that the waits for abortions in the states, states like Oklahoma and New Mexico 
people had to wait longer because there were more people coming from out of state and those people within those states couldn't access care. So there were already shortages. And now there will be even more, which will lead to people who will, again, get abortion care later in pregnancy, which it's very safe overall. It is way safer than childbirth. But the farther you are, the further along you are, the riskier it can be and the more expensive it is. And eventually you're going to get people who are just too late or who are not able to travel. So um, yeah, there's going to be shortages everywhere. Just speaking of kind of overburdened institutions, do you think this is going to kind of also strain the justice system? I do. I think that organizations like Planned Parenthood and the Center for Reproductive Rights appropriately so, are going to be in court fighting a lot of these laws. And we know that these battles take money, money that we could be spending elsewhere to, you know, actually, you know, spend on things that we desperately need, like access to, you know, funding access for formula or supporting states or supporting medical institutions or supporting people who already have babies in terms of, of you know, helping with financial assistance. And so it's a lot of money that's being diverted away, a lot of time being diverted away. So yeah, I imagine that all around, this is going to put a lot of undue stress on a nation that's already very stressed when it comes to these sorts of things, thanks to the fact that we are still in a pandemic and we're struggling economically, as we're seeing. When we think about abortions, there's obviously people have been having abortions, you know, for all of time, but we, you know, when we made these more regulated, they became safe. So can you explain how these rulings and bans are going to restrict safe abortions? When we saw SB8 go into effect in Texas, we have data to show that it did not decrease the number of abortions. They just happened elsewhere. So the same thing will happen here that we know abortion restrictions on a large scale don't decrease the number of abortions. The good news is, as I mentioned a little bit before, is that we now do have access to things like medication abortion, where you can do, you know, you can take these medicines in your own home also known as self-managed abortion. And that's something that wasn't available back in the pre-Roe era. So I don't think we are going to see as many unsafe abortions as we did back before Roe. However, that still means that you're able to have access to these medications. And there are states that have outlawed this. There are workarounds. You can get these medication abortion pills from international pharmacies like Aid Access, which because they're out of the United States, they're not subject to those regulations. But that still requires time and money, and it can take weeks for those medications to show up. So yes, people may try to take other medicines or other herbal concoctions or try to do procedures at home that are not safe. We will absolutely see the, um, we will absolutely see this as a side effect. We will also see people who are presenting to emergency rooms who are afraid to seek care, whether they've had an abortion or they're having a miscarriage, but they're afraid to show up because they're afraid that they're going to be interrogated or accused of having an abortion. This has already happened. And these people are going to be coming in septic with infections, bleeding far behind in terms of us being able to care for them properly than had they felt that they could show up sooner rather than later and get safe care. So we are about to see um, some very sick people walking into our emergency departments. What is the mental health toll that you think is going to come from this rollback? I I don't even think I can put it into words as a provider. Um, it just feels like we're living in some scary dystopian world because somebody like myself, I've always had these rights. I think about the younger generation, you know, they've never seen a world without Roe. It's hard to imagine. I think about the people who protested, who lived in those times and then saw Roe v. Wade become something that protected them. And to then see us going backwards, it's 
it's just really hard. It's really hard to mentally swallow. And as a physician, it's really hard to see what you are an expert in, what you've been trained for, that somebody who doesn't have a uterus, doesn't have a medical degree, somehow thinks they know best and to see the harm they're causing patients. And for people who can get pregnant and now see that they're not a full citizen, that the government does not care about them, that they can control them in this regard, um, it's messed up. It's really messed up and it's very scary. And I think that for people who live in these states where they are completely unable to access the care that they need, um, it really messes with your mind. And to be told that you are forced to carry a pregnancy to term, um, while yet we don't force people to donate blood or organs to keep other people alive, why are we so obsessed with uterine control? But when it comes to other things, we don't mandate that. It just doesn't make sense. And that's because it's not about abortion. It's about control. Any final thoughts? I think it's really important to know that As I've mentioned before, we are not going back to the same pre-Roe era before we had Roe in 1973. And so for people who still need access to abortion, there are still ways to get around it. There are funds that can help in terms of traveling, providing surgical abortion. And there is also the way to access medication abortion in a safe way. We know that we can do it at home safely. I just don't want people to think that now is the time for DIY abortions using things that are not approved. If you're a regular listener, you know that this episode isn't typical of the others. I wanted to hold space for this because according to so many people, so much smarter than I, as you've heard repeatedly today, this will affect black folks in ways that it won't affect other communities. That said, thanks for joining me today. If you're enjoying Beyond Black History Month, please rate and review our podcast. We're in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts from. Special thanks to producer Dempsey Pilat, Jill Webb, who helped write and produce this episode, Andy Egan Thorpe, who engineered the audio, Tim Shout is the WCBS News Radio 880 brand manager, Ben Meverack is the 1010 Wins brand manager, and I'm Fami Redwood. Thanks for listening. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.